The next heart treasure I want to tell you about is Swami Shivananda Hridayananda of Shivananda Ashram. Her name means Bliss of Shivananda's Heart, and it was very appropriate. In the ashram, she was simply known as Dr. Mother because she was an eye surgeon and presided over the free eye hospital Swami Shivananda had established in the ashram. Dr. Mother had been born in Madras State, today called Tamil Nadu, as had Swami Shivananda. She told me that when she first learned to speak, her grandmother taught her that the moment she awakened in the morning, she should say, O Lord, I am thy dear one, be with me this day. And so she always did. She was born loving temples and worship of God. Being outstandingly intelligent and having a heart embracing others, she became a very successful eye surgeon in a clinic of her own. She was married to an equally dedicated and spiritually devoted man and had two daughters. Spiritual reading was her favorite pastime, and she frequently went to a large bookstore in Madras, today called Chennai, where the owner would keep aside any new spiritual books for her to look over. One day he showed her the book Spiritual Lessons by Swami Shivananda. She had never heard of Shivananda before, but when she saw his photograph in the book, she felt that she knew him very well. Standing there in the midst of the store, she began reading and inwardly could hear the voice of Shivananda speaking the words as she looked at them. This was a new experience for her, so she bought the book and asked that any others by Shivananda be reserved for her. She took the book home and read it through. By the end, she knew that the author was a spiritual giant and that she must go to Rishikesh and meet him. Until that time, she was in frequent correspondence with Shivanandaji, looking forward to her hoped-for visit. And as soon as she could, she went to Rishikesh and spent some time there. This was the pinnacle of her life, but she had to return to her family and business. The second time she visited Shivanandashram, when she came to bid farewell to Shivananda, she said to him, how I wish that I did not have to leave. His reply was, then don't leave. And so she didn't leave. After a while, she became Swami Shivananda Hridayananda. I've already told you about how in the morning satsang with Swami Shivananda, I would feel as though we were transported into infinite space far beyond this world. This would always occur when Swami Shivananda would say, Kirtan by Swami Shivananda Hridayananda. And she would sing as he would sit there with closed eyes in perfect stillness. Dr. Mother was remarkable in her appearance. She was always regal and made me think of the poet queen Mirabai. She had a dignity beyond any I had previously seen. But most important of all, she truly was Shivananda's heart. Being an advanced yogini, her appearance and manner were always inward. Shivananda was her life in actuality, not sentimentality, and she always radiated a quiet joy as she sat or walked next to him. It was a beautiful sight, 
and unique. Just a glimpse of her was inspiring. Fortunately, while staying there in the ashram, I found a book in the office called Shivananda, My God. It was by Dr. Mother and contained the correspondence between her and she and Shivananda and the story of her spiritual transformation. It was thrilling and I never forgot it. After some years, I miraculously found a copy for our ashram library. It, like Dr. Mother herself, is unique as a spiritual record. My first trip to India, I never spoke with Dr. Mother, but in my second trip, we became acquainted and spent wonderful hours together remembering Shivananda and extolling his loving greatness. The Bhagavad Gita says, I alone am the theme of their discourse. Thus delighting each other, they live in bliss and contentment. And those words apply to Shivananda as well as Krishna. A few years later, she came to America and spent some time in her ashram. I found that she was always even-minded and inward, calm, peaceful, wise, and joyful. We had many wonderful satsangs with her, and she often said to her traveling companion, What a treat this is to be here. And it certainly was for us. After quite a bit of time spent in America, she went to Europe and eventually settled in Belgium until she left her body. The world was blessed by her every word and act. Saints such as her make life in this world worth living. The next holy one I want to tell you about was absolutely unique in my experience, both awesome and wonderful. I have no idea what her name was, so I just call her the King's Daughter in Bengal. I was staying out on the plains of Bengal in the ashram of Swami Vidyanandagiri, which bordered a classical Bengali village such as has been in India for thousands of years. Every building was made of mud-plastered mud brick, a virtually indestructible substance, and beautifully thatched. Time had not touched it. There was no electricity and no running water. Was I ever glad to be there? The fake advantages of the West are far more hindrance than help. I was leaving the ashram in hope of finding Anandamai Ma, whom I had not yet met. Manaji frequently disappeared with only one or two companions and would only be found when she wanted. So I made my farewell to Swamiji and went out to the dirt road that ran in front of the ashram. Right at the road, there was a three-sided wood structure about five feet high, so anyone had to bend down to get inside. Inside, I saw a man in a corner cooking something, and there were three or four benches that turned out to be the Indian version of a roadside restaurant. I sat down on the bench facing the road, and immediately from behind me, a very hoarse and strange voice began speaking. Two of the students from the high school established by Vidyanandaji began laughing and told me, she is asking you about the road farther on. We told her you had never been there, but she is crazy. There were two or three other men in the lean-to, and they all began teasing her, all the while laughing. She raised her voice, and then every one of them began laughing uncontrollably. One of them told me, she is telling us to leave her alone. 
She says, I am the king's daughter, and you will be sorry you're treating me this way. When I heard those words, <laughs> I was not laughing. I was afraid. Somehow I knew that this woman was identifying with Parvati, the wife of Shiva, daughter of King Himalaya. This is not uncommon in some forms of devotional sadhana in India. I could feel the woman's power and understood that I was in the presence of a true yogi, even though I had not yet even looked at her. The teasing of the men increased, and suddenly she pushed past me and went out into the road where there were many large rocks awaiting use in repair of the road. Squatting down, she grabbed two handfuls of the rocks, threatening to throw them. But I could tell that she never would, because peace enveloped her, just like a cloak. But her tormentor stopped laughing. She looked around and mumbled something. Then she looked at me and spoke. Mentally, I replied, I am sorry, mother, but I do not know Bengali, only English. Oh, she said very quietly. Then looking at me steadily, she began silently questioning me about myself, and I could understand her meaning. So I answered mentally as she looked at me intently. She seemed satisfied, but I realized that I should not let this chance escape me. May I ask you about sadhana? I inquired mentally. She nodded. And I began asking her advice about my spiritual practice. She told me many things. When I had no more questions, she looked at me quizzically, then stood up and walked on down the road with great dignity. Just then, the bus came, so I got on and spent the four-hour ride into Perulia, which, by the way, was only 14 miles away, thinking of her and wondering whom I had really met. The next saint I want to tell you about is Swami Vidyanandagiri, who was very important in my life. I had been told about Swami Vidyananda, who for many years was a director of the Yagoda Satsanga school, which Yogananda had founded before coming to America in the city of Ranchi. Two of the residents of the school had urged me to meet with him. When I asked Kalachanda, the head of the Ranchi Anandamaya Ashram, where I was staying, he also recommended that I visit Swamiji at his ashram, east on the plains. When you see him, you will see a perfect sadhu, he told me. I cannot say this about anyone else, but he is truly an ideal sadhu. Write to him and ask if you may visit him. So I did and got a reply saying he'd be very pleased if I could come to the village of Luckenpur in the Prulia district where he lived. The very next morning, I went just after dawn to the lane where the bus to Prulia would leave. There I had an experience I had not expected. I learned already by my excursions into the bazaar that there are those who try to overcharge on everything in a quite shameless manner. So as I gave what I thought was the right price to the rickshaw man, and he held it out to me and spoke in a protesting manner, I just motioned for him to go on, assuming he wanted to cheat me like the rest. But I found out differently. I was soon to be very humbled. Several minutes later, the rickshaw man returned and got on the bus. I braced for another onslaught. 
but to my astonishment he held out his hand with some money in it. I had overpaid him, and he had gone and found the right amount to return to me. How ashamed I felt. And right there I realized that beneath the surface veneer that travels to India may encounter, there is a basic truthfulness and honesty in the people. A few weeks later, I was riding in a rickshaw one evening, and my wallet fell out of my pocket without my realizing it. Imagine how I felt when a few young men came running after the rickshaw and gave me my wallet. Some months later on, I went to a shop and pointed to something that looked good to eat. That isn't good, the Bengali uh, owner said to me in Bengali, and gave me something he considered better for a lower price. From the first moment I had stepped through the door at Dum Dum Airport, I would known I was home, and everyone I saw was my beloved family. So it was heartening to know that my dear ones were really honest. Since I love India, I have enjoyed every moment riding through the countryside. Everything I see goes right into my heart. As a consequence, the ride to Perulia was literally wonderful, truly full of wonder. Then in Perulia, I got on a rickety bus that was really headed for the last roundup. And soon, but four hours later, it dropped me in front of the ashram gate where two boys of the huge school run by Swami Vidyananda were waiting for me. Swamiji administered several schools. In Lakhanpur, he had a school for 500 boys and a school for 300 girls and planned within a year to start a college for women. My newly met friends took me in through the gate. Far ahead, I saw a light glowing from a modest building, which was the Guru Mandir and Satsang Hall. As I came up the steps, I was met by a man with the most radiant eyes I have ever seen. When he took hold of my hands, I felt as though I was being touched by spirit, not flesh. He greeted me lovingly and quietly, and from then on I too knew a perfect sadhu. Swami Vidyanandaji lived in a small room off the temple, a room which was furnished with one wood platform bed, a small wood table, desk, whichever you want to use it for, and two simple wood chairs. He had two changes of clothes and a chudder, a wool shawl. That was all. One time in early summer, two men representing the government of India unexpectedly came to visit Vidyananda. They told him that they were making a report on all religious-sponsored schools. Because of the border conflict with the Chinese at that time, the government had ended nearly all aid to schools and wanted to make sure they helped only the most worthy. Seeing the simple manner of life led by Swamiji and observing the excellent education being given to 800 students, mostly free of charge, they were profoundly impressed. How much money does your organization give you for the running of these schools, they asked him. When Swamiji replied, 10 rupees a month, they were thunderstruck. At that time, 10 rupees equal one American dollar. How do you manage to keep operating, they wondered. God wills it, so help comes from different sources, he told him. They left and wrote about Swamiji's work to the central government, 
which immediately granted him 500,000 rupees. Vidyanandaji actually lived between three rooms. His personal room, the Guru Mandir dedicated to Paramahansa Yogananda, and a small Shiva temple. About 10 o'clock at night, Swamiji would come out of his room and go to the Shiva temple, shut the door, and remain there in meditation until after dawn. Swami Vidyananda had been given sannyas by Jagad Guru Bharati Krishna Tirtha, the Shankaracharya of the Govardhan Mutt in Puri, one of the four great monasteries founded by Shankara himself. It is the rule that a Shankaracharya gives sannyas only in his mutt. But the Shankaracharya had such regard and affection for Vidyananda that he came to the Puri ashram of Sri Teshwar and in the Samadhi temple conferred sannyas on Swamiji. He also broke another rule for Swamiji. A shivalinga cannot be consecrated until it has been permanently affixed on a foundation. But the Shankaracharya consecrated a shivalinga of sparkling white stone and gave it to Swamiji to permanently install back in the Lakhampur ashram. From then on, he spent every night meditating before that linga. Since I've mentioned meditation, I should tell you about his background as a yogi. He was a very gifted and beloved teacher in the Yogoda Satsanga Hall, School in Ranchi while Yoganandaji was in America. He met Yogananda when he returned to India in 1935. Early one morning, the master sent for him. When he came to the main building, Yoganandaji asked him to sit down. It is a custom to always stand when the guru is standing, but he insisted that Swamiji, whose name at that time was Day, should sit down, although he was standing. After being silent a while, Yogananda told him, Come this evening and I will initiate you. That evening, when Swamiji came to Yogananda's room, the master told him that there was a mela, it's sort of a cross between a fair and a bazaar, uh, in a nearby town, and he wanted to go there. So they did, and Yoganandaji spent the whole time enjoying himself, soaking up the atmosphere of India from which he'd been separated for so many years. Finally, everything was closing down, and people were going home. So Swamiji asked if he should return to Ranchi. Oh, exclaimed Yoganandaji, I'm going to initiate you, aren't I? He looked around and saw nearby a ruined hut with much of the roof fallen in. Let's go over there, he said. Such ruined buildings are almost guaranteed to have cobras and other unpleasant creatures living in them. But in they went, and in the pitch total dark, Yogananda initiated him. Then they returned to Ranchi. There the story ended when Vidyanandaji told it to me. But two men who knew him well told me the rest. There was a corrugated iron shed at the far end of the ashram property. Swamiji went directly there and did not come out for 30 days, neither eating nor drinking, but remaining immersed in meditation. Don't let Swamiji fool you, some of his friends once said to me when Vidyananaji was not around. He has all the yoga powers, but he lives quietly and simply with us ordinary people and keeps it all inside. 
Their words did not surprise me because I had already figured the truth out about him. Every afternoon, as evening was approaching, I would sit with Swami Vidyananda on the veranda of the Guru Mandir. Everything would become quiet. Then, with the faintest of sighs, Swamiji would breathe out and remain in breathless samadhi. I would meditate, well, after the first two times, when I watched the whole time to see that he didn't breathe. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I would meditate then until after an hour or so, Swamiji would breathe in softly and be as usual. More than once I was sitting in the Guru Mandir as Swami Vidyananda was writing letters. I was going through the Gita very slowly and pondering each verse. Sometimes I would think over a particularly difficult one and come to a conclusion regarding its meaning. Now all this was going on in my head. I did not speak a word. But Swamiji would put down his pen and very quietly say, No, not exactly. And then he would explain the verse to me. Do you understand? He would ask, and I would answer, Now I do. This happened so matter-of-factly, just as though it was commonplace. I was staying in a small house about 40 feet from the Mandir. One time I needed to wash out a shirt. It's called a kurta in India. But I had run out of soap. So I went towards Swamiji's room. When I came near the door, he stepped out and handed me a big sliver of soap. That's all I have, he said, but it will be big enough for that one thing. So he even knew beforehand that I was going to need the soap and what I needed it for. Everything was known to him. Early one morning, a student at the school came by to speak to me about something. He told me he was going right to the road to get a bus to Perulia as there were some things Swamiji wanted and would not be back till the next day. The next morning, while sitting thinking of something good to eat, not an uncommon event for an American in rural India, I thought, how I wish I had some rashagulas, which are wonderful sweets I can't describe. If I had only thought of it yesterday. In late afternoon, I saw the student going to Swamiji's room. Since there was nothing else to do, I headed there too. Swamiji met me at the door and saying, Here are your rashagulas, handed me a big earthenware pot with about two dozen rashagulas in it. There is a sequel to this story. In a day or so, huge black ants invaded my house and went straight for the rashagulas. They cut them up and carried them all away. I got too near one of the ants and he bit me on one of my toes, which bled and really hurt. It left a scar that remained for about three years. Every time I saw it, I was reminded of my Swamiji, who not only knew my present thoughts, but knew what I was going to think. One evening, Swamiji told me that he had received a letter from a village quite some distance away, asking him to take over the administration of their local school, which otherwise would have to close. He asked me if I would like to accompany him, and I certainly said yes. But the headmaster of the Lakhampur school needed to go also. He had gone to see relatives in Calcutta and was to return that afternoon. We can't do anything without him, Vidyananda said, and then became utterly still like a statue. 
His eyes did not blink and he did not breathe. He sat quite some time in that state and I began to be anxious. Then he stirred, heaved a sigh and said, in Calcutta he met a friend that wanted him to attend his daughter's wedding and he agreed. He's there now and will not be back until Friday morning. Sure enough, on Friday morning, I met the headmaster coming from the bus. Together we went into the Guru Mandir, that doubled also as Swamiji's office, and there the headmaster told us that he had met an old friend who begged him to visit his village for his daughter's wedding, so that was why he only now had come. Yes, I know, Swamiji told him, and the headmaster was not the least surprised, nor was I finally. One morning, someone from the village gave me a large papaya. I asked Swamiji about offering it in the Gopala temple that was just on the other side of the wall that enclosed the ashram. He thought it was a good idea, so that was done. When I came back to the ashram to distribute the offered papaya to Swamiji and some of his guests, he said, From now on, you are Brahmachari Gopalananda. That is, the joy, the bliss of the child Krishna. That was pleasing to me, but when the headmaster called me Gopalananda Maharaj, I protested, saying, I am not a Raj, I am not a king, I am a Das, a servant. Vidyananaji was very pleased and said, Yes, you are not Gopalananda, but Gopal Das, the servant of Gopal Krishna. And so it was. It was my heartfelt aspiration to become a monk of the Shankar order. And when several months later, I asked Ananda Ma about it and told her that Vidyananaji had promised to give me sannyas if she approved, she agreed immediately and gave me the cloth to have dyed Garawa and used in the sannyas ceremony. I had picked out two or three possible sannyas names and told them to Swamiji who just said, I have something else in mind. At the end of the ceremony, he told me, Your name is Nirmalananda. It usually means flawless bliss. But in your case, it means the bliss of Anandamaya Ma, because Nirmala was Ma's birth name. In my second trip to India, I intended to visit Swamiji in Lakhanpur, but an auto accident prevented that. Then I Though I wrote to him, we were never to meet face to face again, though one of our monks did meet him in Ranchi when Ma Anandamai was there at the same time. Two other friends also met him during their pilgrimage to India. On February 26, 2008, Swamiji left this world to be with the great master Yogananda. He was 105 years old. His sacred body rests near the Shiva temple where he had spent so many hours in communion with God and Guru.